You're listening to the Law Firms of the Future, presented by Zero. My name is Bernie Toledano, and I'm the head of marketing at Zero and the host of this podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Law Firms of the Future. My name is Bernie Toledano, and I'm the head of marketing at Zero, a legal technology company that offers the only mobile-first AI-powered solutions engineered to help law firms achieve operational excellence. I'm pleased to welcome Heather Hawkins and Grant Walsh today, two of the founding partners of Culhane Meadows, a cloud-based law firm and the largest national full-service women-owned law firm in the U.S. So welcome, both of you. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Bernie. Glad glad to be here. Great. Uh, So can you talk to me a little bit about the origin story of Culhane Meadows? I would love to be able to say we came up with this genius idea of, of having a remote cloud-based firm, <laughs> uh, but we didn't, you know, credit, give credit where credit is due. And, and um, actually, Colleen Meadows' founding partners were a member of a previous um, similarly modern, modeled um, cloud-based distributed firm. Um, and we just kind of wanted to take things in a little bit of a different direction. And so when we started Colhane Meadows, the idea was, how do we take this truly distributed, you know, law firm model, you know, in, an, in, a, in a virtual environment and make it more of a true partnership, right? Um, because that's the part that we've missed of being at a traditional firm was, is feeling like you're a part of a partnership. And how do we do that in this setting? And I think, you know, to do that, you really needed to be extremely transparent um, and also be making collaboration a top priority, not only, you know, speaking it, but doing it. And so that's really why we kind of started Colhane Meadows. It, it was to take the, the, a, great, a great model, a great business model um, that was already there, and in our minds, make it better for what we wanted to do, for how we wanted to, to grow and keep our practices long-term. And, and I think that's you know, what we've developed and what we've done and in, a, in a variety of different ways, which I know we're going to get into, but I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that in case Grant wants anything to add. Yeah, I think really what we wanted to do was take the cloud-based concept and improve upon that and provide and really create an even better way to practice law, both for both for lawyers that are in the firm and the way they practice, but also the way that clients receive legal services in a more efficient um, and value proposition that, that makes more sense to the client. Because I think that a better way to practice law encompasses both internal how you practice and external how you receive those services. And that's really what our goal was, was to create a better way to practice law. Got it. Okay. And it's great that you've been able to build that from the ground up. So I'm curious to hear about some of the core values of Colhane Meadows and how these influence uh, the day-to-day lives of your lawyers. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll talk about that. I have to say from the very beginning, when we created the firm and founded the firm, our focus was on um, developing core values, which are collaboration, transparency, innovation, and integrity. Those are our four core values. And, and I know a lot of firms give lip service to core values and mission statements. And um, with us, it was really something that we, we took to heart. We, we sat down as a leadership team and we developed these core values and said, these are what our firm is about. Um, and so each of those really guides as a guiding principle for what we do day to day. You know, starting with transparency, I mean, the reality is that financial transparency and formula-based compensation, which is the way that we operate in our, in our firm, it really eliminates those office politics and bureaucracy that are found in a lot of traditional brick and mortar firms. Um, and so we wanted to be transparent on the financial side with all of our partners. Um, the second part is collaboration and Heather mentioned that, you know, collaboration is so essential 
It's all about right sourcing for your clients. It's about making sure that your clients are getting the best service team that they can. And if that means pulling together people from different practice areas or different regions, we're able to do that. And with a cloud-based structure, we can pull people together very easily, very quickly, and assemble those client service teams to right source the client's needs um, instantly. And, and collaboration is just essential. You know, we don't, we're not a firm of a bunch of silo attorneys who share a website. We're, we're anything but that. We focus largely on bringing people together and working together in a collaborative environment. Um, from an innovation standpoint, the reality is, there's always ways to improve. And, and as a firm, one of the things that we always ask ourselves and we challenge our partners and as a leadership team, we also challenge ourselves to ask those questions. Can we do this better? Can we do this faster? Can we do this more efficiently? Because the answer is almost always yes. And then it's about implementing that and how do you find those solutions to constantly be innovating. Um, you know, e even as a virtual firm who's way ahead of the curve technologically, we still have ways that we can continue to improve. And so we're always looking. In fact, we just did a, a very large technology migration into whole new platforms that really make it even better and more secure um, and, and continue to keep up with that need that our clients expect from a data security standpoint, but also to create that technology that continues to encourage that collaboration and brings our partners together. And then finally, the integrity aspect of it um, being the fourth core value is really about truth and honesty in our billing practices. And that doesn't mean that other law firms are dishonest, but, but I think that there is an inherent conflict of interest when you look at a traditional law firm and putting these billable quotas of 2,000 or 2,200 hours a year, pushing that down to all of their attorneys and associates and partners. And, and what that does is creates an inherent conflict of interest between the firm's financial demands and what the client's actual needs might be on the other hand. And so our, our, our principle and our approach from an integrity standpoint is to make sure that we eliminate the billable quotas. We allow our partners to manage their practices in a way that makes sense for them and for their clients. And so there's not this, this pressure from the firm from a billing standpoint. And so that, that, that's where the integrity aspect comes in. So transparency, collaboration, innovation, and integrity core values. And we try to live by those every day and make all of our decisions through that prism. Okay. That's great. Uh, so, I'm curious to go back to one point that you raised, which is that you don't want Colhane Meadows to basically be a group of, uh, you know, solo practitioners under a single name. So what are the steps that you take as a cloud-based firm to make sure that there's a sense of a unified culture? Yeah, Heather, why don't you talk about that? Sure. So I think, honestly, it starts, in, and Grant as the national recruiting coordinator can tell you, it starts at the recruiting level, right? I mean, I think one mm -hmm. of the things we do, because we kind of already built up this culture, um, at the firm is that when we are looking for people to join Colhane Meadows, one of the things we ask is, are you willing to work for other people? Are you willing to have other people work on your projects? Are you looking for something that you can, you know, sink your teeth into with others, big projects or things like that? Or really, are you just kind of looking to, you know, have your own practice, keep your head down and, and do your own thing? And, you know, people are pretty... <laughs> surprisingly honest in our interviews and will tell us, you know, hey, I'm really just looking to kind of hang a shingle out under this nice platform that you guys have built. And we don't hire those people. So I think the first thing is at the hiring level, if they're not somebody that's going to fit in with our culture, they don't come on board. Similarly, if, you know, we always send an email out to our partner saying, do you know this person? So there's not a person that joins our firm unless we have sent out the the name to the firm to say, is there anything you know about this person that would make them a great candidate or maybe not a great candidate? And so despite the fact I can remember <clears throat> a few years ago, we had a, a candidate come in with an extremely large book of business 
And one of the partners said, I used to work with that person. I would never have them be one of my partners. And I don't think anybody would like working with that person. And despite the large book of business they had, could have run the door, we said no. So, I, I mean, I think that's the, the biggest, to, to me, the biggest part is, is from the outset, making sure you bring in the right people. Now, having said that, the leadership team making a collaborative culture a priority is everything. And, and if we don't lead by example and do these things and, and give them tools and different avenues to collaborate, then it's going to fail as well. And so we, you know, we do, we do take those types of steps to make sure we are getting that type of, you know, collaborative culture. I also think quite frankly, that the, the model in terms of the financial model and the fact that there is a very objective compensation scheme helps with the culture in some ways, because if, you know, as you leave big law, you know, or traditional firms where you've always kind of had to hold really close your clients and we're afraid somebody might take them or, or we're as a young associate might be frustrated that you bought in brought in a line of business that, you know, a senior partner never could have brought in the door and yet they're getting client credit. That doesn't happen here. They're, they're, that kind of, uh, friction is gone. So again, I think with that friction gone and with very objective um, origination rules and very objective uh, compensation rules, you have an incentive to do more work for other people and, and have other people do your work. And so I think that helps the, that as well. But in addition to all of those things, we there's little things that we try to do. And I think sometimes people undervalue the small things that you can do to really help your culture. Um, for example, probably two months after we started the firm, we initiated a policy on Fridays that you could violate the reply all attorneys rule, <laughs> right? I mean, typically law firms say do not reply all and do not send the all attorney emails. But on Fridays, we, um, we do away with that rule if someone has a high five Friday. And so it's just accolades. So if someone wants to say, hey, you know, Sharon just closed this really big real estate deal. She had all this work involved. This is what happened. Here are the statistics on the deal. And it just closed on Thursday. You know, high five Sharon. And then everybody can chime in and says high five or asks questions about the deal. So it kind of is, it serves two purposes. One it lets people know what others are doing in the firm. So a big part of making sure you are part of a culture when you're all distributed is to make sure other people know what's going on in the firm. You know, somebody in our DC office that's not in real estate may not have known that Sharon was down in Atlanta doing a really interesting real estate deal. That gives them that information, you know, and then somebody may ask a question of Sharon of, hey, well, how did this come to fruition? And, and they ch she chimes in and, and again, more information is out there. So things like that that's, that may, may seem small actually can make a big difference. Um, and when we're not in a COVID environment, we do have monthly in-person meetings all, at each of our offices. Um, and a lot of times people will fly in from other offices and visit each other. We have social events, whether it's a lunch or a happy hour and things like that. And like every firm, we have our traditional annual, annual retreat. And what I think what's unique about Colhane Meadows is everyone is so excited to go to the retreat because they're getting to see everybody, not only from their offices, but also from the other offices that we have. And because it's such a positive thing and people look forward to it, our attendance is unprecedented. I mean, last year we had 100% attendance and people really look forward to going to those. And we, and we, we build in a lot of fun as well as work um, and, and variety of activities, especially if we go to a city that people haven't been to before, we'll do tours of the city. But again, all of this about fostering these relationships 
is, is one of the number one things that we really try to emphasize is get to know your partners, come in the door. And the more you get to know people, the more you're going to see that cross marketing occurring. Um, and so the people that, that dive in and do that do very well in this model. And unfortunately the people that don't have a harder time. Um, and that's the, those are the people that we end up seeing that leave the model, you know, because it, either they can't make it work because it's eat what you kill, or they realize that the culture is just maybe not for them because they don't necessarily want to be collaborative or contribute. They're like, you know what? I just rather be on my own. I, I don't want to be a part of something else. And, that, and that's fine. So, yeah, no. And I think it's equally important to keep, the wrong people out as it is to bring the right people in. So it's great that you have that really built into the recruitment and retention process um, because you provide everyone with the tools to succeed, but you also need the people who are able to succeed with those tools. So it definitely seems like you've uh, learned a lot uh, since kind of founding the firm and uh, going sure. through this process. Yes, so and it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, no one's perfect. Um, but kind of going back to the point you were talking about your Friday emails, but what other technologies and channels do you leverage to uh, basically instill this culture and foster collaboration? Sure. Um, one of the most important tools I think anybody will tell you in terms of trying to keep cohesiveness in a remote environment is going to be what we're, what we're on right now, right? Is being able to have a video chatting capability, not only just the video chatting capability, like, but sharing screens, being able to work on documents together. Um, and I would even say going a step further is, you know, having the type of technology, which we have at Colhane Meadows, where we actually can all be in, we use Microsoft Teams. And so we can actually, I had a, a, a a deal the a couple months ago and we were all sitting on a call brainstorming because the client wanted us to come up with a, a list of big issues right and um, I pulled up a word document I opened it in teams and I had everybody else open at the same time and we're all in the same document and we're typing in and adding issues mm -hmm. as we talk about it and there's th those were three three different people all working on the same document at the same time live and edits are going on and it was fantastic and I think those types of tools you have to give your partners to, to be able to put together those types of teams that, that I mean, I, the one partner was in Chicago office, one was in our DC office and the other one was in our land office. And so, you know, you have to be able, when you're getting to Grant's point earlier, when you're right sourcing and you're bringing in the right team members, they're probably not in your office anyway. So, you know, had I been in a brick and mortar office in, in Atlanta and I, I wouldn't be able to walk down the hall, regardless of whether or not I had the people with it, the expertise is not there. So I think that's a huge, a huge tool to have. Um, I also think that ensuring that you've got a reliable cloud-based document management system, because again, if you're trying to get people to work on documents together and deals together and you're collaborating on things, everything needs to be available to people at any time from anywhere. And I think that is the next point is ensuring full mobility. So people say, oh, well, I can work from mm -hmm. home. And that means all they're doing probably is VPNing into a, a server that sits in their offices in a brick and mortar <clears throat> facility. That's not full mobility. Full mobility is I, my, my systems are device agnostic, right? So if I'm a device agnostic firm and we are, I can get on any tablet, any phone, any computer because we use multi-factor authentication it doesn't matter. I can go on that, that laptop in the hotel when I'm on vacation. If someone needs me to look at a document and it you know takes me 20 minutes to do that, I can do that. 
I have my phone, I can authenticate myself, I get on, I get off, and my work is done. So I think that's a big part of it too because it's not always going to be a sitting in our home offices. You know, once everything, you know, it is kind of back to status quo, we're going to be on airplanes, we're going to be traveling to clients. You know, in our model, a lot of people travel to their clients' offices and sometimes work in those client offices. So, again, it's not really a work from home. It's a, are you truly mobile? Are you a mobile workforce? And that, and that's what we've, um, we've always worked towards. And as we've grown and as we've seen the technology that's out there, we've made changes to, to make sure we can do that. You know, having remote IT support, people don't think about that. You know, as you're leaving a brick and mortar, you need somebody who can remote into your computer. <laughs> you can't just buzz and hit a button and have them come to your office anymore, right? So I think that's part of it. And then mobile device management. I mean, if you're looking to take your business into a remote working environment, I think mobile device management is key. Um, again, you have all the tools for people to collaborate on that on that mobile device, but it's also in a secure environment. So I think that's uh, another you know very important one. And then for the collaboration, I think you have fun stuff. You know, we have a virtual water cooler, and you know whether wh whatever technology you use to accomplish that is, I think is fine. But but having that type of social area. Um, and we use Microsoft Yammer, which is kind of like Facebook for, for companies. It's a Microsoft tool. So uh, we use that. And, and, and other people use different things. So there's no magic answer to find it. It's just offering that and having people to have a portal where they can go and socialize and talk about birthdays and graduations and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, you know, one thing I think, you know, Heather talked a little bit about the use of, of technology and, and unifying people and bringing that culture together. Another, you know, some other great examples that are really just recent in, in light of sort of the current COVID situation, because we recognize, again, as she mentioned, we usually get together monthly with all of our partners in each market, but with COVID, of course, we're not able to do that. So even as a cloud-based firm, we still have that face-to-face -face on a regular basis, but in light of COVID, we've done a couple of different things to sort of adapt in different ways. And one of the things that I think is really, really neat um, at our firm, we, we have a wellness committee that was, a, it was an organically uh, mm -hmm. grown organization within the firm. It's got about 15 members in, in, on the committee. And they really focus on attorney wellness, substance issues, mental health. Are you getting out and getting sunshine? Are you making sure that, that you're staying connected with your partners? And this goes on year round. But during COVID, they've actually stepped it up. And one of the things that I think is really great, um, because most of our partners are sitting at a computer during the day doing their work for clients, they've started a, a wellness committee lunch hour. So right now, every day from 12 to 1, members of the wellness committee are on a Teams meeting just like this, where people can jump in, grab a sandwich, you know, grab a bowl of soup or whatever they need to bring and they have lunch together and they talk. It's not about work. They just talk about their kids. They talk about how frustrating it is to be a, 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 a lawyer and a stay at home teacher, right? All of those things that are coming mm -hmm. right now with the current environment. And so I think that's another example of how technology is unified. Um, our tax group actually came up with a really clever idea recently and they did, they announced it to the whole firm. And they had a lot of people participate. Um, they watched as a group, um, the, the movie, the laundromat on Netflix, and, and the tax group talked about all the things about what they were doing wrong from a illegal tax shelter standpoint. <laughs> but it was a really fun way to bring people together and they had a live chat going on during it and the tax group was responding saying, oh, what he just said right there is totally gonna lose his law license, that kind of stuff. And so it was, a, you know, again, using technology to bring people together in a way that you just have to think outside the box and be creative about it. And so even during COVID, we're using that to, to further collaborate and bring, bring our people together and foster those relationships. That's great. And it really sounds like the lawyers at your firm really like each other, which I think is something not to be taken for granted. 
Absolutely. I think, I think they do. I think they do. In fact, we, we had a partner recently, I will tell you, that uh, we, we were at the firm retreat and she was relatively new and she came up and she, she, she came up to one of the, the members of our leadership team. She says, oh my goodness, like y'all don't have any jerks here. And, and I think it was true. <laughs> we, we, we do. We have a no jerk rule, right? We, we just really do on the front end make sure that we're bringing people in that want to be a part of a team. Egos don't have a place in our firm. And so I think that we all recognize that as partners, we're equals, we work together, everybody has to support everybody. Um, and there's nobody to boss around or to bring you coffee or to be your peon like you'd have in a traditional firm. And so I think that that brings also the fact that we're no associates and we're 100% partner only, I think creates a different um, camaraderie between the attorneys. Well, the other thing too is, you know, we always like to say this, it doesn't help you to kiss up to the management <laughs> because your compensation is set. It, it's a formula. You know, we have, we have a piece of software where it's the software developers built in our, our model into their computer and it works and we don't have anything to do with it. So, you know, that's, that's the nice part too is, is people don't worry about politics because the politics don't affect their bottom line. There is no, I love me memo at the end of every year to determine what your points are going to be at the beginning of next year as a partner. And, and I think that alone makes a big difference in how people relate to each other and, and the type of people we attract. Because the people who like all the points and the people who like the I Love Me memos, they don't have a place here. They won't fit in here, and we don't want them. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm curious, so when you are looking to recruit new partners, um, you know, affirmatively, what are you looking for? You know, I, I'll talk about that since I, I coordinate our national recruiting efforts. Um, again, this is one of those things that we can't take full credit for. There was a great book called The Ideal Team Player that is a leadership team we looked at and we read as a group and really thought about, okay, the book was not focused on law firms. The book was focused on companies in general and how do you identify during the hiring process people that are truly ideal team players. And we looked at that and we thought, okay, how do we take these lessons and translate it into a law firm environment? Um, and, you know, preview, the three points that the, that the book really focuses on are three things. They, they said that the ideal team player is someone that is hungry, someone that is humble, and someone that is smart. And those three things, when you bring those together, really create an ideal team player. And that, that really is the, the, of course, we're looking for people with accomplished, accomplished success, good credentials, big law backgrounds. But these are the intangibles, the things that you can't necessarily uh, put a dollar amount on their portable book. Um, I mean, you can, put a, you can put a dollar amount on a portable book, but you really can't, can't quantify in a tangible way the hungry, humble, smart. And so these are the characteristics that we're looking for as we interview people. Um, and, and, and I'll just kind of briefly explain how we, we look at those within the law firm environment. So we want someone that's hungry. We want someone that's, that's on the upward trajectory of their career, not someone that's, that's been in the law practice and then says, you know, I'm going to go to Culling Meadows and, and retire there, but I'm going to start, you know, doing this. We want people that are hungry to grow, people that are continuing to, to say, hey, I think that I can do this better. I think that I can grow my book. I want to develop new business. I want to continue to use the flexibility and the, and the autonomy that Colhang Meadows empowers me with to go out and grow. And so that's the hungry aspect of it. Um, the humble part is, is there's, there's a couple of facets to humble. So I already mentioned we have a no jerk rule, right? We don't want people with egos. I think that's really important that if people come here and they can't show humility toward one another because they're always right, they're always the smartest person in the room, that's not the right fit for us. Um, but the other side of humble is knowing what you don't know. And that comes back to that concept of right sourcing. I think that it's really common in a lot of law firms because of that sort of um, 
competitiveness in the way that the compensation structures are built and the point systems are built to create this concept of your, you know, for me to do, to, for me to do better, someone else has to go down. And that's not true at our firm. Mm-hmm. We really look at the concept of, of humility, of knowing what you don't know by recognizing, hey, I need to bring in my partner. I'm not a real estate attorney. Yeah, I may have done a lease, you know, 10 years ago, but that's not my, that's not my bread and butter. Let me bring in my real estate partner to advise the client on that need. Um, could I navigate my way through a service agreement? Yeah, maybe, but am I the right person for that? Because the, the reality is when you, when you stretch what you do and you try to reach beyond your lane as, as far as a lawyer skill set, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're doing a real disservice to your client at best. And at worst, you're committing malpractice. You really have to make mm-hmm. sure that your clients are getting what getting the right knowledge. And so when we look at humble, we look at people that recognize what they know what they know and they also know what they don't know. So they know when they need to bring someone else in. Um, and then the third, the third part is the smart. And there's two types of smart that we look for. Of course, we want book smart. We want people that are intelligent lawyers that have gone to excellent law schools, that have served at an AMLAW 200 firm, that have really practiced law at the highest level of sophistication. And so we want that intelligence, that business intelligence. But equally important is the, the, the emotional IQ, the human element, being able to recognize how to relate to people. And that comes back to, again, the culture discussion we've already had about making sure that people come together and want to be a part of a team and that they're not there just to go out and practice on their own and share our website. We want people that that have an emotional IQ that can relate to their partners, relate to their clients on a human level as well. So, so that hungry, humble, smart are the, the sort of characteristics that we look for. Um, and of course, in addition to all of the, the tangible things that we can evaluate, those are the characteristics we look for. And, and we feel like if we find a, a candidate that, that falls into each of those categories in some way, it really is someone that would be a good fit at our firm. Got it, okay. So it sounds like some pretty well-defined criteria, but with uh, some room also for uh, flexibility. But um, another kind of personnel aspect that I wanted to ask about was the fact that Colhane Meadows is the largest women-owned firm in the U.S. And Heather, I'm curious to hear more about how you think that this distinguishes you from your peers, especially other virtual firms. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, you know, having been in big law and having seen people go on mommy track or having seen so many women leave the practice of law, I think I, I, I listened to a, a webinar last week and I think the statistic was by the time women attorneys hit their 20 to 25th year, there's only 40% left of the original that started out. That's a shocking statistic and it's not a good one. Um, and so I think the fact that Number one, being a women-owned firm, women-owned firm makes a big difference in, in how we do what we do. We're 65, our, our leadership team is 65% women. That, that's un, unprecedented. And any firm, I, I, I challenge you to find many firms where it's 65% of the leadership team is women. And, and having that, set aside the statistics, set aside the fact that it helps you check a box on certain things that's wonderful. But different perspectives mean you're gonna get different types of innovation and improvements that you won't get if everybody thinks the exact same way, right? And that, that goes to all kinds of diversity. That's why we look for diverse candidates because we do want differences in thought. We wanna see people come up with different ideas. You know, We're always asking, how do we do this better? To Grant's point earlier. Um, and I think you get that from diversity of thought and diversity of thought comes not only from differences in, in gender, but in all kinds of aspects, right? And so 
being a woman-owned firm puts us in a position where we can really say to others, step up, Let, let's make a difference, let's do something, you know, let's, let's actually break the cycle that we've been in. Now, I'll tell you, because it's a completely, you know, objective compensation formula, which we've talked about before, it puts everybody at a level, level playing field. So I can really say to a former colleague of mine, you know that ceiling that you're hitting and you're experiencing and the fact that the partner who you've been working with for years is making 15% more than you because you took a year off to take care of your children? Um, that won't happen here. You can come here and make as much or as little as you want to make depending on how hungry you are. Um, and it has nothing to do with how you look. It has nothing to do with your sexual mm -hmm. preference. You know, none of those things come into play. And that is so refreshing to be able to say to people is, yeah, a lot of people have a lot of, you know, marketing spiel, let me say it that way, <laughs> Grant will appreciate that, about, oh, we have a diversity team and we have all these initiatives that we do for diversity and, and, and to lift women up. But at the end of the day, is there something that you're doing that actually can change the numbers? And the answer is yes. The answer is be a completely objective. Take the subjectivity out of the picture. And when you do that, you can make change. You know, our top, mm -hmm. of our top 10 fee earners every year, they change constantly. And usually half of them are women. And interestingly, Grant just told me this the other day, in 2019, on average, our female attorneys made 4% more than our male attorneys. Again, I challenge you to find any law firm in the mm -hmm. country that can say that. And again, that, that's this year. You know, next year could be different because couple of guys had, you know, big deals that, that some of our female attorneys didn't have, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I could even say that to you, that's a game changer. That is an absolute game changer. And I think makes such a big difference. The fact that you could come to Colhane Meadows and let's say you came out of big law and you breathe for a few months. You're like, I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to do a little bit of projects. Come January one, you say, I'm going to hit it hard. You could be the highest fear earner in the firm. After just having joined the firm, after taking four months off because you needed some downtime and your billables were fairly low, and then the next year you can knock it out of the park. And, and because of that, I, that's that again, you know, from a woman-owned perspective is to try to get some of these candidates that we're losing when they get into the later stages of their career, especially when they start wanting to have families or, quite frankly, even, you know, single dads that, you know, f face that environment where they're like, I can't work in a traditional firm anymore. I'm going to have to find something else because I need time to go do things with my kids. And, and I think that flexibility, too, um, it speaks to everyone, quite frankly. Anybody who wants that work-life balance, you know, in, in, in this model shows that. And I think, again, having a different um, perspective of the women-owned, um, you know, leadership team – is a great selling point for that. Yeah. yeah. No, and it sounds like in a lot of ways, you guys are able to kind of leverage diversity as a competitive advantage by being able to recruit people who feel marginalized within the framework of traditional law. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. And of course, it, you know, it certainly has its, you know, marketing advantages in terms of, you know, business, because there's a lot of our clients who put a lot of, um, value on the diversity in which we think is fantastic and, and truly you know we're um, we're a member of an organization called NAMWOLF and you know we're women-owned business enterprise we weren't even going to do that we had no intention of doing that we just as part of our business happened to be women-owned and we had clients come to us and say why are you not in these organizations you know that, that these 
Or number one, these organizations can make a difference. And number two, by the way, we can send you more work. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you are a member of this, we have a budget that we have for these types of organizations and we can give you even more work than we're already giving you. And when a Fortune you know, 100 client says that to you, you look into it. <laughs> and so we did. So you know, we didn't start the firm, you know, back to the first question you asked. Did we start the firm with the idea that we were going to be a women-owned firm? No. You know, we just wanted to do it a better way. It happened to be that we were two of the four founding partners for women. <laughs> so, yeah. I was just going to chime in. You were talking a little bit about the competitive advantage. And I do think there's absolutely a competitive advantage. Um, and, and kind of going back to a couple of things that Heather talked about, you know, one of the things that we are also observing, and I think this is true when you look at legal media reports, there are more and more clients, especially in the Fortune 500 realm, that are bringing in women at the top echelons of the legal departments. And, and so, I mean, I think when you look at what's going on in-house versus what's going on in private practice, the numbers are, are strikingly different. There's far more women taking leadership roles in-house because those, those, are, those are firms, again, where they are actually moving the needle. They are making those changes and they're making very determined and deliberate decisions to put women in these roles, which is outstanding. And I think that when that happens, I, I think that's one of the things that you're going to see more of is that law firms will have to be responsive to that because these clients are demanding it. And so to Heather's point, I mean, we joined NAMWOLF, which is the National Association of Women-Owned Law Firms. It's one of the largest trade organizations. Their specific goal is to connect and support um, minority women-owned firms and to connect them from a business development standpoint with fortune-ranked clients. And so they open those doors. They get our foot in the door because so many of these companies are saying, hey, we're going to spend X percent on a minority or women-owned firm. And, and very few law firms, quite frankly, and no law firms um, that, that, are, that are anywhere close to our size can check that box for those clients. Um, and so I do think that, that that is a very, very important aspect of it because, you know, and we don't ever lead with that, right? We don't say hire us because we're a women-owned firm. We say hire us, number one, we're excellent lawyers. Look at our credentials, look at our background, look at where our partners were trained. So we're great lawyers, number one. Number two, hire us because we deliver a value proposition that you're not going to find anywhere else. We're a low overhead firm. We keep our rates low. You're getting the equivalent of about a 20 to 25-year lawyer on average at the price of about a third or fourth year associate at a traditional firm. Who would you rather have for that, that same price? Someone with that depth of experience or someone that is still, quite frankly, learning how to practice law and has a lot of layers of redundancy that you find in traditional firms. And then the third point is, oh, by the way, you get to check the diversity box if you hire us. And so that's never our lead point, but I think it's a very important one that distinguishes us within the, within the marketplace of other law firms because very few law firms um, can bring that, that value and that quality as well as that diversity that Colhane Meadows can deliver to our clients. Got it. So I think you've described somewhat of a utopia for the right kind of lawyer. So what advice would you give to a third or fourth year associate who wants to work at a firm like Colhane Meadows, but doesn't have the book or the level of experience yet to really kind of make it? Well, Bernie, I'm going to answer your question, but I also want to turn the question around. <laughs> so to, to the quick answer is, like, let, I'll, I'll give three things that I can think off the top of my head, and then I'm going to turn the question around a little bit. So I think some of the things that, you know, as a young attorney, you know, at a, at a traditional firm, First and foremost, <clears throat> make strong client relationships. If you are doing work with clients, building those relationships is the most important thing because clients no longer hire law firms, they hire attorneys. And, and for an associate to understand that is hugely important and maybe it's not taught. So, you know, making those relationships, you know, 
despite the fact that you have this billable hour requirement, work extra so that you have time to do some of the more social things, to get to know them, to find out about their business, to find about their relationships, all those kinds of things. I think that's so important and quite frankly, maybe not taught. Um, I think another thing that's not taught that you that really need to have as far as your practice, if you especially want to come into a model like this is go take seminars on how to market and how to do business development. Most people come out of, especially big law, they don't have a clue. They've never been taught anything. They've never been taught what networking is for. You're, you're told to go to these happy hours. You're told to go to these networking events. No one tells you what to do. No one, no one explains, you know, how to keep in touch with people or market yourself or any of those things. So I think that's another thing. And, and, and the third thing I could think off the top of my head is get a mentor. I mean, the, there's so much to be learned from some phenomenal attorneys at traditional law firms. Get as much experience as you can get from them. And if you don't have a mentor, ask for one. And I think a lot of, a lot of younger attorneys are afraid to ask for that. And if they don't have a mentoring program, create one you know, and, and, and see if you can start one at your firm and be a part of that because it makes such a difference. And it doesn't have to be a big time investment for either the mentor or the mentee. But I think those things are very beneficial to kind of start getting now so that hopefully when you're up to the age where we can bring you on board and you're at that level, you know, we can have you. But having said that, I think it's interesting to kind of turn that question on its head and say, what can firms do to, to retain, you know, the younger associates, the millennials that are coming out? Because as we, as everyone has probably heard, there's a lot of job dissatisfaction. There's a lot of job hopping, you know, and when you see candidates, you know, traditionally you see, oh, this job hopping, they're not, they're not a good candidate, should we be concerned, right? And a lot of times it's just they haven't found the right place. And so I think what can firms do to, to keep those millennials, if you will, happy and, and keep them engaged and keep, hopefully keep them longer than a year or two, um, if, if that's possible. And, and so I think having flexibility over your work schedule is king. And I think that's one of the number one things we're saying. Never before have we seen a generation um, value work-life balance. You know, they want that work-life balance. And I think finding ways to do that, however that is, however your firm decides to do it, is hugely important. Um, I think that making sure they have the technology to do what they want, where they want, when they want, is hugely important. Again, we talked about this earlier, having true mobility in your technology, not just, oh, I can work from home if I'm plugged into the right computer that has this product loaded onto it. No, I mean, it was interesting. I, I had an interview this was probably three or four months ago. I had an interview with a millennial and we were doing a team's uh, chat and the interview was going really well. So I didn't want to end it, but I had to get in the car to go to a meeting. And I said, Hey, do you mind if I continue this in the, in the car? And he said, what? And I said, I'll just take a second. I'm just going to switch to my phone. And he's still seeing me in the video. And I put him on my little card holder in the mm -hmm. phone. He's like, did you just seamlessly change from your computer to your phone? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes. And he's like, Oh wow. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. that those are the kinds of, pieces of technology and the things that millennials are going to want and the younger associates that are at firms now that are hopefully coming to us one day are going to want to see. And so I think those are another thing yeah. to make sure that, you know, you're, you're giving something like that as a traditional form to your, to your millennials that are, that are there to keep them happy. And, and I think the last thing that I would say is they want to feel two things, a part of something bigger than themselves right? Am I part of something bigger? Do I, is, does my contribution matter? And I think that means making sure their voice is heard. 
you know, taking feedback, soliciting feedback, and then either doing something with it or explaining why they're explaining why you're not doing something with it. And I think that's an important aspect as well. So that would be my, <laughs> my two cents. No, and I, I like the way you flipped that, especially because uh, we actually have a blog series called The Lives of Lawyers, which features contributions from millennial lawyers. And one of them in particular had a horror story that as a litigator, she obviously couldn't bill for the time that she spent on the subway, but she would have to go back and forth to the office uh, to basically file her documents. They didn't have a document management system. And oh. she would have to have an, an assistant actually manually scan her documents. Uh, so after just a long day in court, she'd have to go to the office late at night to make sure that that piece was done. And it's the kind of thing with the right mobile applications, uh, or even with Apple Zero, honestly, you can fix pretty easily and it takes a second and yeah. you can literally do it from anywhere. So, um, and, you know, and Bernie, I yeah. think to your point and, and to this, this writer's point that contributed this article to you guys is I think so many traditional firms are scared that remote access cloud-based technology means they're, they don't know how secure their data is. And that couldn't be further mm -hmm. from the truth. There, there are so many different types of technology offerings out there. And to me, the smartest thing you can do as a law firm is to give it to the experts who do nothing but this all day long. Right. I mean, having yeah. one person that maybe comes into your brick and mortar firm and, and can take care of it is a lot different than having a whole army of people, you know, that that's all they do all day long. And you just turn that over to them, making sure that you understand what you're getting into, because some of it is, is about educating yourself as well. Right. And having all the different offerings. You know, if you can have a mobile device management piece of software, but if you don't enforce encryption on all of your devices, does that help you? No. If you don't have data loss prevention enforced on your devices, does it help you? No. If you're not activating your intrusion detection software capabilities, just because you have it doesn't mean it's being used. So I think that getting people over that hump of being afraid and, con and just maybe not knowing, I think hopefully what we're all experiencing now you know, people will start to realize, okay, first of all, we can do this. <laughs> and wow, if we had the right technology in place, we could do this a lot more efficiently. I mean, I, I do think the status quo is going to be drastically different when all of this, you know, is, is settles down and we do start moving back into those offices because I, 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 I truly believe that even our traditional brick and mortar firms are, are going are gonna to see the fact that, wow, people can still be efficient. It's not for everybody. Um, and so I, I don't think it, it is something that you could do across the board. The, the you know, working remotely is, is, is for the people who are self-motivated. And if you're not self-motivated, this is not a good environment for you to be in. And you probably do need to go to an office and that's okay. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do think there'll be some lessons learned and some people who, you know, really enjoy the fact that they do. And of course, we're, you know, Grant is probably very excited as our national <laughs> recruiting coordinator to say, yes, we've already seen a lot of people say, wow, in just two months, I love the fact that I'm not commuting two and a half hours a day. And uh, can I can I talk about your firm? You know what I mean? Tell me more about what you do. Because people are thinking before where they thought, oh, I could never work from home. That, that's way too difficult. Because to me, if you can work from home right now and you've got a spouse at home, possibly children at home, you know, where, and, and you're still able to be productive, think of what you can do when they all leave, <laughs> when they all go back to school and they go back to their jobs. And then it's just you you can be extremely productive, you know what I mean? So I think uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, how all of that pans out. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm curious, actually, just in 
embarking on this series about what your vision is uh, more broadly for the future of law firms or for the law firms of the future. You know, I'll, I'll talk about that. I think that there is um, what we're going through right now. I've kind of, I've kind of referred to it as the great awakening within the practice of law. And I think that there is a, a, a this is a very unique moment in time across all industries, but I think the legal profession in particular, because I think what you're seeing to Heather's point is that so many of these lawyers for so many years thought, I, I have to have an office. I have to have the trappings of, of a physical workspace to be able to do what I do. And this great awakening is revealing to them that they don't, that they can be productive. They can, mm -hmm. in, fact, in fact, a lot of statistics, uh, I, I think it was uh, the Wall Street Times, Wall Street Journal, or, um, New York Times, just a couple of weeks ago said that, that you know, 92% of survey respondents said that they felt like they were more productive during the past two months by working from home. And I think that that, but, but they're being forced into this experiment, but I think that the experiment is going to have lasting ramifications. And so I think from a future vision of what law firms will look like, I think number one, I think that mobility that Heather talked about is going to be key. I think that this great awakening is really going to, I think, force more workplace flexibility. It's going to force law firms to think about that. It's going to think, make them think about, okay, gosh, all of those trappings that, that we've been providing and spending all that money on, um, maybe we don't need all of those things. And, and so I think that's part of it is being able to, to, to self-reflect on what does this look like? And I think you're going to see a lot of law firms that are very excited to go back to offices because they're paying a lot of money for rent in downtown class A office space that's very expensive. And who's ultimately paying for that? The client is, right? The client's the one that's paying for that office space. And when clients say, wait a second, I was paying, you know, these, these absorbent amounts of money per hour for the same services, but you're not really having to be in an office. Why am I still paying this law firm to be in this 50th floor of a downtown space that I know is expensive? And, you know, and it's, it's not uncommon to walk into an office of a law firm where you see a ball, you know, millions of dollars of art in the lobby. Again, who's paying for that? The client is. And so I think that this awakening is going to, number one, make law firms and lawyers reflect more about what they need to practice. And number two, I think it's going to make clients um, give more scrutiny to the firms that they're hiring and saying, wait a second, why am I hiring a firm that has all this excessive overhead when I don't really need that overhead for that lawyer or that firm to provide services to me? So I think that there's this sort of great awakening going on. But I think also, you know, really going back to the millennial concept, I think that what the data has showed is that millennials are, are really rejecting the whole idea of, well, that's the way it's always been done because law firms are, law firms are, are, are just notorious for that, that position, right? That's the way it's always been done. So why should we change? And, and I think that millennials are challenging that. So the next generation of lawyers are going to be challenging that. And, and I think forcing some of these changes, but the reality is they're not, millennials are not looking for beanbags and, and, you know, ping pong tables in the lobby. I think there was sort of this push for that, you know, seven, eight years ago. That's not what they're looking for. When you really look at what the data shows, millennials want that workplace flexibility. They want that compensation transparency. They want, they want to feel a part of something that they have ever said. And I think that's where the, the, for us, that's where I think the future of law is going. And I think that our firm is very uniquely positioned to, to begin to attract those millennial lawyers, those who have spent seven, eight, 10, 12 years in a big law firm, but who are just saying, you know, this just, you know, I keep moving from firm to firm because yes, there's a lot of bouncing around with millennials, but I just, you know, they keep looking for greener pastures, but they don't find it. And then many of them, because we've seen many, many attorneys land at our firm and say, oh my gosh, I wish I had known this was here 
10 years ago because it, it, is, it is a better way to practice law. And so I think that there's going to be a, a technological revolution within the law firm industry. I think, I think products like what Xero offers, I mean, I think that AI is going to come into play. I think there's so many different things that are going to be a part of this awakening that law firms are suddenly being forced into, kicking um, and screaming, but at this point they weren't given a choice. And so I, what I'd say, if anything, this has probably accelerated the technological advancement probably by a good, a good 10 years. I think that we're probably moving things forward by a decade because people are suddenly experiencing what it's like to leverage technology and to, to give that flexibility to your workforce. Um, so yeah, so I, th I, think that, I think that what we're seeing right now and how people are practicing now is the future of law. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So thank you both again for joining me today. And uh, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Bernie, thank you so Thanks much for the opportunity, time. Bernie. Yeah, really appreciate it.